We've been looking at on Sunday mornings how to have unstoppable faith as we've been in chapters 3 through 5 of the book of Acts. Uh, In particular, we live in a time where people do things to be seen by others. And maybe it's the the great cynic within me, but have you ever uh, noticed how sometimes these great supposed uh, private moments of goodwill and charity somehow have a video of it? (laughs) And you kind of go... Was that really a surprise or was it really just to kind of proclaim oneself? Look at me, look at the good things that I'm doing. Uh, as we have the propensity to do that, we have the propensity to have that kind of thinking that we want to be able to have people see the good things that we do. And yet that is a tremendous detriment to faith. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is this idea of doing things not for the show. The the setup for this teaching is interesting in Acts chapter 4, as was just read for us, because it opens with some pretty stunning words that if you slow down and really allow it to sink in, you'll, you'll consider really what is amazing about this is, Chapter 4, verse 32, it just says, This entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. Just stop and think about that for a minute. It's not a few of them that were believers had the same heart and the same mind. Not some of the believers had the same heart and the same mind. Not many of the believers had the same heart and the same mind, but all of them, all of them are of the same heart and of the same mind. By the way, we're up to the point now that, you know, this isn't five people together. We are 5,000 plus of this group at this moment. And what you are already getting a picture of is that these are not Christians who just are individuals practicing their faith, loving Jesus and doing what they think is right. And from time to time they meet with these other people. You don't have thousands of these believers of one heart and one mind if they were just on occasion connecting together. It's a very serious thing to think about how this large group is able to be connected to that kind of degree to say that they are of the same purpose. They have one heart and one mind. And by the way, don't forget, these are strangers. These are people who are from all over the Roman Empire who had come for Pentecost and time is marching on now and many of them stayed behind. We're going to read about a guy named Joseph who's from Cyprus who has stayed in the area after all of these great things. I think it is important just to think about as all of these differences of all of these people with all of these different backgrounds are able to all come together and somehow, some way, they are able to be of the same mind and the same purpose. I just think if you just stop and think, that's possible. That's possible. That for the people of God... Thousands of them being in a singular congregation, all of them as believers, one heart, one mind. 
And within that, I think the text is telling us how that happened. In verse 33, it tells us that the grace of God was upon them. And I think that's the the focal point of what is happening. When our focus is on the grace of God, that's when we will be deferential to others. That's when we will be gracious to others. And so already you are seeing this beautiful picture of a family relationship. Here are these people who are strangers who are all coming together because of the grace of God. And that grace of God is changing them to such a degree that it says that they are of the same mind and they are of the same heart. And not only that, notice what else it says that they are doing in verse 34. For there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And this was then distributed to each person as any had need. I want you to notice something striking about the picture of this group that's stated there in verse 34. It says that no one claimed that their possessions were their own. I want you to think about that image for a minute. Not only the intent is to say nobody had anything, that's not the point. But to think about what they perceived is that they did not look at their own possessions. They didn't look at their own wealth and say, this stuff is mine. And if you have a need too bad, it's mine. I worked hard at it. It's my stuff. It's my houses. It's my property. It's my land. It's my things. It's my accumulation. Notice the picture here in verse 34 is that nobody has a mentality like that. That's not how they were looking at it. They don't see somebody in need among those Christians and say, well, it's mine and you can't use it. Or it's mine and you can't have it. And they are looking at this family relationship that they have in Christ. And anyone who has need, they are saying to them, here, you have this. You take this. This this will be yours. And I want you to notice the extent by which they do this. I think it's fairly jaw-dropping when you think about our culture and our way of thinking about wealth and stuff and things. Notice that it doesn't say in verses 34 through 36 there that what they were doing is that after they had spent all of their bills and they went to the, got to the bottom line and they said at the end of the month, <clears throat> well... I've got a few dollars left over and I think I can help out brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Did you notice what they were selling? Land, property, houses. I think sometimes we think about it as just in terms of, well, you know, if I have anything left over, I would definitely help somebody out. There's something very powerful about what these Christians are doing as they look at other Christians who are in need and they say, you know what, what's mine is yours, what yours is mine, and I'll even be willing to sell what I have to be able to help you in your need. So important to think about the ancient Near Eastern world where you just don't have much of a middle class. You either the have or the have nots. You either are doing well or you are doing terribly. And those who are doing well are saying, we're going to help those who are doing terribly. 
We're going to make sure that they have so that their needs are provided for, that they are not in, in this dire straits. And I think it's so neat to see this picture. It's just stunning right out of the gate, dropping this imagery of one heart, one soul, one mind, strangers across the globe, but they're united by one thing. And they're united not by how they look at the world or by their culture or they agree on certain topics or issues. Here's what they agree upon, the grace of God. That's their common point. That's what brings them together. That's what makes them the people of God. They are joined by the grace of God and they have seen the grace of God to such a degree. They have experienced the grace of God to such a degree that they want to show grace to these other Christians. And now it gives us in verses 38 or verses 36 and 37 an encouraging example You have in verse 36 a a picture of a man named Joseph. And it tells us a very simple, concise picture. In this process of these Christians being together of one heart and one soul and one mind, and they're caring for one another, we are told that he goes and he sells a field that he owns, and he takes the proceeds of the field and simply gives it to the apostles and says, Here, apostles, you take this money and you use it for the needy Christians that we have here. Now, you might say, I've never heard of this guy, Joseph, before. And I think what's so amazing about this is Joseph is his given name. And the apostles say, we're not going to call you that. (laughs) We're not going to call you by what your parents gave you for a name. We're going to call you by a different name. We're going to give you a new name. We are going to go around calling you Barnabas. The name Barnabas means son of encouragement. How encouraging do you think Joseph is that the apostles decide we can't call you by your given name anymore. We have to call you the son of encouragement. How encouraging do you think he is? And I want you to consider what an encouragement it would have been to these needy Christians that here he possesses property, he sells it, takes all of the proceeds of it, whatever amount that was, and goes, here, just use that for these needy Christians. You just help them with it. How encouraging would that have been? It'd be like, that's great. Thank you. You are Barnabas. Nobody's going to call you Joseph anymore. You know, what an amazing act of encouragement that you see in him because of the grace of God that had been shown to him. And so I think it's it's an important picture that it all begins, but it is ultimately the setup to what happens next. I often crack on, you've been around long enough, chapter divisions and their poor placement This one certainly reigns supreme on one of the top 20 of terrible chapter placements because the story is only at this point a setup. That's not the main point, but to set up what happens next. Here are the Christians and they are concerned for one another and their hearts and minds are are joined and knit together. They care for one another. They're sharing with those who have need. And here is an example of that where Joseph, he sells a piece of property and he gives it the proceeds to the apostles 
so that they can care for these needy Christians. And the apostles are like, we're not going to call you by Joseph anymore. You are such an encouragement. We are going to call you Barnabas from now on. Verse 1 of chapter 5. But there's a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, and they sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it? that you have planned this thing in your heart. You have not lied to people, but to God. And when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came upon all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, did you sell the land for this price? She said, yes, for that price. And then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And then great fear came upon the whole church and on all who heard these things. You can imagine now how this scene ultimately played out and why things happened the way that they did. Here are Ananias and Sapphira, and they also sell a piece of property. But it's in verse 8 that we get the sense of what the problem was, because you'll notice Peter goes to Sapphira and says, did you sell it for this certain price? She says, yes. And so the idea is this is they had sold the property. And what they did is they said that they'd sold it for a lower price. Well, we only sold it for 120000 but actually, I'm making up numbers, but it was actually 150000 keeping the 30000 for themselves. But look, we sold our property and we gave all of it just like Barnabas did. <laughs> just like he did. And so they do the same thing, but... They say, oh, we'll just keep some of it back. And nobody will know what the selling price was. Nobody will know how much we made. We'll tell everybody we gave the whole thing. We can tell them that who's going to know the difference. You had to think that when Peter came to Ananias and just simply said, why have you lied? You'd be like, how how did you know? I thought I'd be able to keep this quiet. I thought nobody would know what I've done. And I want you to notice how the text explores this in saying this in verse 4. The problem is not that they held money back. That's what verse 4 says. You didn't have to sell the property. And when you sold the property, you didn't have to give the apostles any of the money. And you didn't even have to give the apostles all the money if you'd wanted to give them some. That's not the issue. The issue is you lied. Now, that's the issue that's zeroed in on in verse 4. The issue is you lied about what you did. 
Was not the property yours? You didn't have to give it up. You didn't have to sell it. And when you sold it, you didn't have to give all the proceeds. You could have kept some of it back. You just weren't supposed to lie about it. Don't lie and say you gave X when you didn't. You didn't do that. Thus, he says in verse four, you haven't lied to us. You've lied to God. And I want to take a few minutes and and think about this idea as it's presented for us. Why do you think they did that? Why do you think they would lie over something like this? Why do that? Why lie over the amount? Just say it was 120,000 if that's really what it was or if it was 150 or whatever it was. Just say what it was. Why lie about it? And I think the problem is often the, the case when it comes as a temptation for us is that we want the wow factor. We want people to pay attention. We want people to give us credit. We want people to go, wow, that was selfless. That was so Christ-like. That was so Christian. That was so amazing. How you have given yourself. What a sacrifice. What an offering you've done. And I want us just to think about that idea that it is so easy for us to desire for others to want to see our good works. We we want them to see our good works. I want you to know the good things I'm doing for God. I helped out that person and I want to make sure that you know it. Oh, how we sacrifice, how we give, how we help others. We've given our time, we've given our resources, we've given our wealth, we've, we've given all of our abilities. We will want other people to know about it. And I bring this up because that is a very easy temptation in our society. It is a huge temptation in our society. Our world is about, look, I'm doing something good. Yay, everybody, see? See what a great person I am? See all the good I'm doing? See how amazing I am? I am so wonderful. Be sure you push your like button because I'm doing good things. We have it all the more in our culture right now. Where everybody is about, look at me, look at me, look at the good that I've done. Look at my sacrifices. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at this. And I want us to think about why this is such a problem. I think one of the big things that we should consider as we're talking about this having unstoppable faith is why this is a big deal is because this is a huge blocking of faith. Or to put it another way, if I am showing my faith only when people are watching, that I don't have faith at all. If the only reason I'm doing something, quote, for God is when other people will know about it, then it actually isn't for God. You can say it's for God, but you actually did it for you. You wanted other people to see it. You wanted other people to give you credit. You wanted other people to give you the wow factor. That's what Ananias and Sapphira are doing here. That's the big deal of what's under the text. Don't blow them up just simply, oh, they lied. Okay, everybody, don't lie. Go home. Okay, we won't lie. 
That's not what's underneath the line. Why did they lie? Because they wanted everybody to go, hey, you're Barnabas too. Oh, you did that. You sold property and gave all of it. That's amazing. Oh, what a great Christian you are. We are so impressed by what you've done. I think sometimes as you read chapter 5, do we not have the tendency to struggle with why God killed them? You read this and go, you know, isn't that a little much? Isn't that an innocent mistake? You know, they just lied. Why, why is God being so rough right here? That's pretty intolerant. But I want you to think about the severity of what they've done. And this is what Peter is bringing out. You haven't lied to people. You've lied to God. Let's press that a little bit. What has happened is rebellion to God. And so it's ultimately rebellion to God. Because you're not serving God. You're serving self. You're self-glorifying. You want other people to pay attention to you. That's what this is ultimately about. They're not serving God from faith. They're serving God for the show. And I think it's important that we think about ourselves and the reasoning why we do good. What's the motivation behind it? Why do we do the things that we do? Let me start with something very low level. I'll, I'll let you cross the harder bridges on your, ho- on your own in your mind at home. Let's just start very low level. Why do you come to the church building? Let's just be real low level. Why are you even here? There can be lots of motivations behind that. Some of the motivations can be, well, it's what you're supposed to do, right? It's my habit. Or maybe it's a motivation of it. I want people to think I'm a Christian. I want people to see that, you know, I'm here. It can be, I want to get some people off my back. They've been asking where I've been, and so I'm here. Get off my back for a few months. There can be a lot of reasons why we would choose to be here, why we would choose to to come to worship. And I want us to think about if we are not coming to God for God, then it's not faith. You're coming for the show, for whatever else it is, for some alternative motivation. It's not about God. And that's what it has to always be. It must always be about serving for God and that everything that we would do would be for God. And it is an important question that we ask ourselves because as Peter says, you're not lying to us. You're lying to God. You're saying to God, oh, I'm really here for you. See, look, Psalms, prayer, Lord's Supper. Listen to this guy rant for 30 minutes. You know, I'm here, okay? It's all good. So get off my back, God. Get off my, I'm good, right? You're not lying to people. You're lying to God. You're pretending to Him. And of course, he's fooled real easily, right? You know, he can't see through any of our smoke screens and facades, you know. He's always tricked. <laughs> Why do we do that? 
We think that we're getting away with something when actually we're doing it for selfish purposes. If the reason that we come, the reason we teach, the reason we lead, the reason we serve is for the show, it's a lie. It's a lie. We're lying to God. We're ultimately trying to bring this all about ourselves. In short, I want to put it this way. God really does actually care about our motivation. He does care about why we do what we do. I think that's a very big deal in the paragraph because notice Peter is not like, well, hey, at least you gave the majority of the proceeds. So you really should stop lying about that. But we are very grateful that you sold some property and gave the vast majority of the proceeds to these needy Christians. Just next time, don't lie about it. Okay, God cares about the motivation. The ends don't justify the means. That's true here. The outcome looks great. We're helping needy Christians. And God kills them. You go, wait a minute, aren't they doing something good? Wrong motive. And that matters to God. God cares about the heart. God cares about the reason. God cares about the motivation. You can do all of the good works that you want. You can do wonderful things in the name of God. And you can go about sacrificing and giving and serving. And if you're not doing it for God, if you have the wrong motivation, you aren't doing yourself any favors. God cares about the motivation. God cares about the heart. Doing it for the wrong reason is sin and it's lying to God. That's what we're learning from this couple. It's lying to God. And I want you to notice Jesus even said that. First sermon. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. What do you just say? When you're doing what's right, put your phone away. Don't take pictures. Don't tell other people. Don't make a big announcement. Don't tell everybody on Sunday, boy, you know, yesterday I was really working so hard for God. That's why I'm so tired today. <laughs> oh, how righteous that sounds. Oh man, it's been a long week serving people. I've been sacrificing left and right. I've been cooking meals and helping them, not just beat. Wrong motivation. See what Jesus is saying? Don't let other people know. Something to think about. If other people don't know that you did it, would you still do it? If nobody ever ever will know the thing that you are thinking about doing will you still go ahead and do it Hmm. Jesus also said it like this John 12 verse 42 nevertheless many 
even of the authorities. Many of them believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. There's a great little test right there. Do I want God's approval or human approval? Do I want people to know or do I only want God to know? Am I doing this for God because this is what God has called me to do? Because this is how I can respond to my God. This is how I can show the grace of God to others that's been displayed in my life and the grace that God has given me. Or do I do it for the show? I think this is such a challenge because ultimately what this means is that we must look inside of ourselves, challenge ourselves, and really clean out any deception that we might have. Are we really okay with no one ever saying to you, thank you so much for the service you've done to God or for the leadership you've done for God or the teaching you've done for God or the giving you've done for God or the sacrifice you've done for God? Are you okay with no one ever giving you a drop of credit at all? Or will that bother you? Will it bother you if you do something good? And you know, they didn't even bother giving me a thank you card. You know what I did for them and they won't even give me a thank you card. They didn't even say, hey, thanks. They didn't even post it on social media and tell others of the good thing I did. Everybody needs to know. How dare they? I'm never going to do a good thing for them again because they were so ungrateful. See how our minds often work? We're in it for the show. We want the response. We want the credit. We want the attaboy, great job, that's amazing. Look at you. You're doing great. You're A plus Christian. Brownie points for you. Extra star in your crown. Yay, you. That's what Ananias and Sapphira wanted. Everybody was like, man, Barnabas, wow. Ananias and Sapphira, we can do that. We can get some of that credit too. We can get some of that notoriety. Friends, unstoppable faith doesn't care if people see or acknowledge what we're doing. That's real faith right there. Real faith is observed when our heart does not care that anybody knows what we're doing. Nobody knows. Just don't care. And in fact, if we could push that a little bit further to do what Jesus said, not only do I not care if nobody knows the good that I'm doing, I'm going to try to make sure that they don't. I'm going to try to make sure that they don't. I am not going to practice my righteousness in front of other people. I'm going to keep it on the down low. I'm going to keep it hidden. And I'm going to do these things. And nobody here is going to know the better. Nobody here next week is going to go, man, you were amazing. Unstoppable faith does not care about acknowledgement. Doesn't care if other people see. Doesn't care about getting approval. Doesn't care about getting a well done 
you're like me, that's quite a challenge of the heart, isn't it? Because, man, we all want that approval to some degree. It's, it's the human DNA. We want that kind of, oh, good. But unstoppable faith only cares about God's approval. Everything we do must be for the glory of God. And if it's not for the glory of God, we're lying to God. Everything we do must be for the glory of God. God cares about our motivation. And we need to make sure that the motivation is truly for God's glory. Otherwise, we are lying to him. And the thing is, like Ananias and Sapphira, you can trick everybody here. You can. You can fool everybody here. You can just look like the greatest servant or the greatest leader or the greatest sacrificer or whatever it is. Everybody here be like, wow. Is it really for God or is it for other people to see and for other people to hear? If I had 30 more minutes, but we don't. I'm stopping now, don't worry. It's okay. But think about that's what Barnabas did. Ananias and Sapphira did it for the show. Nobody comes up to Barnabas and goes, Your heart, why have you conceived this? What an encourager that he had the right heart. Took his property, sold it, gave all the proceeds to the apostles so they could give it to any of the Christians who had need. And nobody says to him, You've got a bad heart. He had the right heart. There's a way to do this, to not be seen to people. There's a way to do this with the right motivation. And so every time that we are thinking about our acts of service, sacrifice, leading, giving, whatever it is, let this question challenge us. Do I care if people see this or not? Do I need people to see what I'm doing? Do I need some kind of congratulations? Do I need some kind of credit? Do I need some kind of acknowledgement? Or is it really for the glory of God? Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we live in a time that just tells us to care about the looks and the appearances of things that tells us to seek acknowledgement and credit to elevate ourselves, to make ourselves look like we're something. Lord, we pray that we would always have pure motives and that we would have pure hearts that simply want your approval. And Lord, we pray that you would refine us, mature us, and expose within our hearts the areas that are deceptive, where we are doing things for the show, where we're doing things for human approval or human glory. Help us to see those times. And please refine our hearts in such a way so that we would stop doing it for approval, but simply for you. And Lord, forgive us for the times when we have done things because we want people to acknowledge us. 
Forgive us for lying to you in those times and taking glory away from you that ought to belong to you. Lord, we pray as we go forward in the days ahead that as we serve, sacrifice, lead, and give, that our hearts would always be pure and that everything that we do would always be for your glory, for your honor, so that people do not see us but see you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to sing invitation song. If we can help you in any way to come to Jesus this very day to find forgiveness, find hope, redemption, we encourage you to do that this very morning. We're encouraging you to have an unstoppable, strong faith, to serve Him truly from the heart, to give your life to Him completely. Can we help you in any way to turn away from your sins, to confess Jesus to be the Son of God, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, anything we can do, just let us know. Won't you come while we stand, while we sing?